0: pray. Thank the Lord for his goodness to us so far. Lord, we ask you to bless your word to us now. Guide us. Help us to learn to think your thoughts more faithfully after you. And uh, shape us so we're like Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Heard of the Mayo Clinic? More than 4,000 doctors were told. And get this, over 50,000 other doctors, allied healthcare care personnel, massive. All kinds of patients come to the Mayo Clinic for a second opinion. Now, Sometimes doctors send them, sometimes those that are suffering say, no, I want somebody else to give me a word on this malady. Guess how often medical experts agree with one another's diagnoses at the Mayo Clinic. Want to guess? of the time. And uh, one researcher made this comment, effective and efficient treatment depends on the right diagnosis, knowing that more than this number is incorrectly diagnosed is troubling. I'd say it'd be troubling. I haven't been to the Mayo Clinic, thankfully. I don't want a second opinion. But we all make mistakes, don't we? Nobody's perfect except one. And he's the final judge, and his decisions are flawless. No second opinions, no Mayo Clinic to which to appeal, no higher court because there's no need. For those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ There is no judgment for sin, no need for another opinion. In the gospel, the Lord calls us to a way of relating to one another at home, in the church, in society. Our opinions of one another matter to the Lord. How we relate to one another makes a difference to him. He calls us to function as a holy family marked by love and honor and respect despite our differences. St. Augustine gives us a helpful word, I think, on this subject. He said, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. Well, the hot topic for early Jewish believers, how to view what to do with Gentiles who have come to be followers of Jesus. And just think about the range of differences. We have concerted Jewish people who are well-schooled in Old Testament thought, and then we have Gentiles from different ethnic, linguistic, and cultural backgrounds, not to mention the, the religious diversity from which those new believers have come, a huge problem. Was the church to be one with many peoples or fragmented between Jew and Gentile? That's the question. It's such an important issue that Luke addresses it twice for us, first of all in Acts chapter 10, and then in Acts chapter 11, and you will see other references in other places in the New Testament to this same dilemma. The Lord seems to think that we and others who read his word need to be shaped by how Jewish believers came to accept Gentiles believers as part of the fellowship of faith. It's not simply ancient history. It's not just a matter of uh, kind of intellectual assent. Oh, I got that point. Early church issues are our issues. And this topic then moves us to address things that are generally below the surface of observable life. It's of vital importance for how we treat a newcomer at Covenant, how we treat joy. It's vital importance. Uh, For um, your walking across the street to talk to your neighbor who you believe is an unbeliever. And for our moving as a group with the gospel to peoples and cultures between Berks County and the ends of the earth. So how did the early Jewish church come to embrace Gentile believers as full-fledged members of the people of God? How'd that happen? Peter's story tells us, and uh, in essence, it's this, God gives repentance that leads to life. He gives repentance that leads to life to Jews. He gives repentance that leads to life to Gentiles. And because he does that, he brings Jew and Gentile together in a family where it's possible to live out of the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. Well, we're looking at the section we just heard Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 18. It's the second part of the story about Cornelius and uh, that which John just read for us. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 18, if you can turn to it. Now, how does Luke organize this material? Well, it's pretty simple. I mean, it's not a complicated passage. The word gets out that Gentiles have come to faith. And now apostles and Jewish believers have to somehow deal with that. That's in verse 1. That's the introduction. And then verses 2 and 3, Peter comes to Jerusalem, and a religious faction takes him to task. It's verses 2 and 3. And then what follows from that? Well, really, the bulk of the story is verses 4 through 17, in uh, in which Peter... Uh, step by step by step relates how the Lord had shaped him and taught him and enabled him to think in a more godly way about people who were different from himself. And then we get to verse 18. It's the end of the passage, and uh, the critics are silenced. They back off. They glorify God, and they rejoice in the Gentile's salvation. So let's think about his flow of thought just one more time. The words out about believing Gentiles, religious elite, elite, they take Peter and they thrash him verbally. Peter tells his story, critics are silenced. There's new unity. As we look at these verses, I hope that you will also keep in your mind these other themes that are being that are playing out here, the significant tension in the narrative, Peter's mild-mannered response. God's use of a very simple f- story. And we might say on the side, just uh, parenthetically, and this is not the point of the passage, but we might say on the side, if the Lord can use Peter's simple story, Might he be able to use your simple story? And then finally, uh, the overarching presence and power of God's grace. Well, so look with me at verse one, the word gets out. Uh, Jesus had said at the beginning of Acts, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And while people talk, you know how people talk and the talk spreads quickly. And so now we find that there are apostles and Jewish believers that here, that Gentiles have received the word of God. See it there in verse 1? Is that good news or bad news? That's the question. Like medical experts today, early believers had varied opinions in answer to that question. Well, look at verses 2 and 3. We are now headed to a verbal thrashing. Peter went up to Jerusalem. The circumcision party criticized him. And the criticism, you went into uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Think of it. So what's the circumcised party? Is it like? the Democrats and the Republicans and the Independents? No, not quite political parties. Uh, The circumcised party was a subset of Jewish believers that were very strict and very zealous to keep the law of God. And their brand, it was this. They're convinced, they're passionate that faithful Jews should have no social contact with those who are not circumcised, and you remember the Old Testament? Uh, God gave circumcision to Abraham, the father of the faithful. They are zealous to preserve no social contact. So we read, the circumcision party criticized him. They view Peter with suspicion, doubt. Um, They're accusing him, they're judging him, and they treat him basically the way they would treat Gentiles. Push him away. Scrupulous about religious purity, they're quite certain Peter had had improper contact with uncleanness. And let's keep in mind here the main thing. Their suspicion about impurity in Peter's life meant more to them than the fact that Gentiles had placed their faith in Christ. Can I say it again? Their suspicion about Peter having contact with Gentiles was more important to them than the fact that Gentiles had placed their faith in Christ. That conviction had profound relational implications and so they inflict on Peter a verbal thrashing. They're pointing out his presumed shortcomings and they're objective in doing that to get him back in line. That's what we do with people who step out of line, right? Get him back in line. and the under uh, the underlying motivation this mindset try this to see if this makes sense their underlying motivation was this we are always glad for others to join us we like it as long as they become like us join us if you want to become like us however we're not going to tolerate people that make us feel uncomfortable. We're Jewish, we're in the driver's seat here. If they don't conform to us, we have no place for a relationship with them. Sorry, don't let the door hit you on the way out. These people are attached to a way of living that went away When Jesus rose from the dead, read it in the book of Romans. Christ is the end of the law. And so there's no excuse for prejudice anymore among the people of God. Jesus has brought an end to the law. Well, so what do we see so far? Just this far down in the passage, even though repentance is God's gift, that leads to life the circumcision party takes Peter to task and really they don't get it yet they're going to get it but they don't get it yet how will Peter respond well please look at verses 4 and following now he describes he tells a story he describes how he came to see that repentance is God's gift that leads to life now it's a rather long section and it covers the same material that we saw back in chapter 10, except from a different perspective. Back in chapter 10, Luke is the narrator, and he's kind of standing back, and he tells us what happened with Peter, and he tells us what happened with Cornelius, and in this case, Peter is the narrator. (coughs) And we get straight from him who is the key participant in this whole thing. Well, what's he say? First of all, he's not defensive. He doesn't say, hey, don't you remember who I am? I'm one of the apostles. I mean, and I was with Jesus. And I walked on the water. And let me tell you my other, none of that. He says, look at verses five and following, God Came to me in a vision while I was praying. And he embellishes the record in, from chapter 10 by adding uh, there was a sheet that came down from heaven and there were uh, creeping things, and then he adds this other description beasts of prey. And he hears a voice that says, Peter, rise, sacrifice, kill, and eat. And he pushes back and says, Oh no, Lord, I can't do that. Nothing ever has gone in and nothing unclean has ever gone through the passed between these lips. The voice comes to him a second time, telling him not to call unclean what the Lord has cleansed. After two voices and three repetitions of this thing, the sheet returns back to heaven. And he continues, at just that moment, see it there in verse 11? At just that moment, three men arrive from Caesarea. The circumcision party has criticized Peter. The Holy Spirit has told Peter to go back now to Caesarea without making any distinction, and it's the same word that's used to describe the circumcision party. They criticize Peter. God says to Peter, go back with no criticism. Well, six believers go with him, probably as witnesses. And they go to Cornelius' house. You see it there, verse 12. And then what happens? Peter describes to his critics what Cornelius told him. And that is, an angel appeared to me and told me to send to Joppa for a man named Peter. And Peter will bring you the message of how you and your entire household can be saved. That's how it happened. And next we learn how the Spirit came to them. Look at verses 15 and 17 through 17. As Peter begins telling Cornelius about salvation, the Holy Spirit comes upon the Gentile gathering. Clearly, this was not the result of Peter's persuasive preaching. He had just begun his address, and here comes the Spirit. And Peter tells us, verse 15, end of verse 15, that's like what happened at Pentecost. And it reminds him of what Jesus said. He said, You know, John baptized with water, and the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to baptize you. With himself. This is Peter's explanation of how he came to see that repentance is God's gift that leads to eternal life. Now, there's one more part that we want to talk, touch on before we get to the punchline, and it's right there in verse 17. If then God gave the same gift to them, as the Gentiles, if he gave the same gift to the Gentiles, that he gave us, that is the Jews, when we believed in the Lord, who was I to stand in God's way? It's a great question. Peter is saying, first of all, let's get our eyes on God. What can we say about him? He is the great giver. He is generous. He overflows with generosity. And he acted on behalf of the Jews at Pentecost in giving his spirit, and he acted on behalf of Gentiles in Caesarea in giving his spirit. Out of his bounty, he has given the same gift, the free gift that comes the Holy Spirit. And since this is God's doing, God's people would be foolish to oppose him. Now, what's the inference for the circumcision party. When you keep at a distance those God has saved, you are standing against God. You're opposing him. Does that make sense? In other words, there needed to be an adjustment in the thinking of Jewish believers. And it needed to be addressed forcefully and directly, and that's what the Holy Spirit does through Peter's story. When Peter is being criticized, it's because he has broken kosher. And the problem, here's the problem. If Peter is right, if Peter is right to have done this, to hang out to hang out with cornelius and his family then gentiles obviously have a right to come into jewish homes and if they can come into jewish homes then they can come into the church and that is exactly where the prejudice lay now, we don't have the same exact problem as the early church. But we have one that's very much like it. We're glad for other people to join us as long as they become like us, right? So what kinds of people make us nervous and like, uh, like the Jewish believers? Now, uh, let me just give you a few categories to think in, but you'll be able to come up with your own I'm sure. Well, let me suggest some. On the outside, they look poor. Speak with an accent. They're Christians, and they say, they believe, that tongues continues in this era. They don't think it's appropriate to baptize babies. Add your own list. People who are Christians from which we're going to shy away because we don't like something in their life. Has that ever been the case for you? That ever been the case for you? got to check people out first before you get too close to them. Don't want to be too friendly until you really find out where they're coming from. Look at verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent, glorified God, saying, then the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So take heart as you think about your own resistance to being around certain kind of people. It is possible, based on this verse, for critical, self-righteous people to come to the place where they shut their mouths. See it? They were silent. What made the difference? Peter's simple story of God's grace. So what would it take for you to be silent before God's grace and others in the presence of believers who are different from you? What would it take for you to genuinely praise God for bringing people into your life and into the life of Covenant Church that you never expected? It would take more than you saying, oh yeah, I got that story, I remember that story. It would take some work down under the surface of your life, wouldn't it? It would mean you would have to address some of your presuppositions that keep you from extending yourself to people. James Montgomery Boyce, have you heard of him? He was a pastor in a uh, Presbyterian church in Philadelphia. He tells the story about John Ironside, the father of his predecessor um, at 10th Press. As John Ironside lay dying, he kept muttering something that his family couldn't quite understand. Finally, they got it. He was thinking about Peter's vision uh, with this sheet that's filled with animals. And he was saying a great sheet and wild beast and, and, and he couldn't quite get it out. And so a friend came over and he said, John, yeah, he said there were creeping things. There were beasts of prey on that sheet. He says, oh, yes. That's how I got in. Just a poor, good-for-nothing, creeping thing. But I got in... Saved by grace. Boyce comments on that story this way. He said, He said, whenever you see yourself as a not clean animal, but as an unclean animal, when you see yourself as not an attractive beast, but like a creeping thing, whenever you see yourself as pronounced clean by the sheer grace of God in Jesus Christ, then you're in a position to open your heart and your arms to people different from you. And he goes on, he says, and it doesn't make any difference who they are. God does not show favoritism, if you got into the family of God, the gospel is good enough for anybody. Lord, bless your word to us. Change us by it, we pray. Help us to turn from our critical, self-righteous way of approaching other people and give ourselves with enthusiasm to those that, with, with whom you surround us. May people see at Covenant Church those who are more and more committed to what we have in common in Christ than petty differences. And we ask these things for Jesus' sake.